Dr. Balaga here. This podcast is on the management of radiation-associated heart disease. Often radiation is exposure is only realized when cardiac testing suggests a more extensive fibrotic or calcific process than typical for any age. It is recommended a team of experienced physicians, including cardiologists, cardiac imaging specialists, cardiac interventionists, and cardiothoracic surgeons work together to guide therapeutic strategies. It is important that the oncologist and cardio-oncologist take a detailed history and determine the dose of radiation and or cardiotoxic chemotherapy the patient has received when they first meet the patient. The team of physicians managing patients with radiation-associated heart disease uh, should set the patient's expectations and educate them regarding poorer outcomes in radiation-associated heart disease. Medical therapy. Medical therapy is typically undertaken according to standard guidelines. Given the paucity of data, there are no definitive medical therapy for radiation-associated heart disease. And it must be remembered that most symptomatic patients require invasive therapies to relieve significant lesions. One paper in the 2015 issue of Radiotherapy Oncology, volume 114, pages 96 to 103, reported that ACE inhibition attenuates radiation-induced cardiopulmonary damage. Another study in pathology research uh, practice, 2014 issue, volume 210, pages 863 to 71, reported the protective effects of melatonin in heart injury induced by radiation in a rat model. And finally, a paper in PLOS 1, 2015, volume 10, E013-7337 by Goa et al. reported beta neuroreglin protects the myocardium against irradiation-induced damage via the RB2 ERK signaling pathway. Nevertheless, these are experimental studies. It is important to follow guideline-directed medical therapy in such patients. Cardiac surgery in radiation-associated heart disease is often complex and therefore best undertaken by experienced surgeons at a set an experienced center. As the manifestations of radiation exposure are very heterogeneous, patients cannot be uniformly managed and require individualized surgical approaches. It is recommended that a complete one-time operation should be considered. This is particularly important in people have multi-valve disease where one valve may have severe dysfunction and another valve is mild or moderate. In such, such uh, situations, both valves need to be fixed. Even in experienced centers, the 
outcomes of radiation associated heart disease patients undergoing cardiac surgery are significantly worse when compared to a matched population. In one study of 478 patients, 173 radiation associated heart disease and 305 matched group without radiation associated heart disease undergoing cardiac surgery, a significantly higher proportion of patients died in the radiation associated heart disease group versus the comparison group, 55% versus 28%, p-value less than 0.001 over a period of 7.6 plus or minus 3 years despite similar Euro scores. Cardiac reoperation in radiation associated heart disease was associated with significantly higher long-term mortality. Similarly, in patients with severe aortic stenosis undergoing surgical aortic valve replacement, patients with prior mediastinal radiotherapy, and there were 173 patients in this study, had a significantly worse long-term survival versus a matched cohort of 173 patients. This is reported in the 2018 issue of the circulation, volume 138, pages 1752 to 4. The paper is titled Outcomes of Patients with Mediastinal Radiation Associated Severe Aortic Stenosis Undergoing Transcatheter Aortic Valve Replacement. The same group of investigators. In Jack Imaging, 2018 issue, volume 11, page 1072 to 1080. In an article titled Rate of Progression of Aortic Stenosis and its Impact on Outcomes in Patients with Radiation Associated Cardiac Disease, a MAT cohort study reported that in patients with moderate aortic stenosis, those with prior radiotherapy have a similar rate of progression of aortic stenosis versus a comparison group. Despite that, radiotherapy patients have a significantly higher long-term mortality with prior radiotherapy being a major risk factor for long-term mortality. It's not clearly understood about the variation in myocardial fibrosis, pulmonary disease, and the impact of radiation-associated vasculopathy on outcomes to make meaningful predictions about who is truly at high risk for operative intervention. Clearly, in isolated aortic stenosis, a percutaneous strategy might be the better options. In terms of surgical approaches, despite the internal thoracic arteries often lying within the radiation field, the majority can still be utilized with good results unless they appear small and fibrotic. Given the susceptibility to calcification of the aortic valve, the aortomidal curtain and the mitral valve annulus, consideration should be given to replacing both valves even if the disease of one is only moderate. Replacement is favored over repair as irradiated valve tissue is abnormal and tend to progressively fibrose and calcify. Given the increased risk of reoperation, use of mechanical prosthesis is, is particularly uh, appealing, especially for younger patients. 
However, if other comorbidities preclude lifelong anticoagulation, consideration may be given to bioprosthetic valve replacement with subsequent valve-in-valve transcatheter therapy. Confluent fibrous skeleton calcification extending from the aortic annulus across the aortomidal curtain and to the anterior mitral valve leaflet can often preclude safe valve replacement. These patients often have a small aortic root and small annular sizes, possibly related to radiation exposure during childhood, progressive fibrosis, and or scar. These combined issues make a compelling case for double valve replacement. In addition, division of the aortomidal curtain and the anterior mitral leaflet also allows for better exposure of the posterior mitral annulus for debridement of calcification, placement of suture, and reconstruction. The so-called commando operation, where a patch of autologous or bovine pericardium is fashioned to repair and expand the dome of the left atrium, the mitral annulus, the aortomitral curtain, the aortic annulus, and the aortic valve. This approach allows for repair of the defect left by aggressive debridement of calcium adequate sealing of the two prosthetic valves and in most cases at least one valve size increase in both aortic and mitral valves for more physiological hemodynamics. This is especially important if bioprosthetic valves are used with consideration for future valve-in-valve transcatheter interventions. Pericardiectomy is reserved for constriction with pericardial fibrocalcification or severe recurrent pericarditis despite medical therapy. However, outcomes for pericardiectomy are worse in radiation-associated heart disease, likely reflective that pericardial involvement is a marker for severity and extent of disease. This is dramatically demonstrated by five-year survival rates, post-pericardiectomy which are 79.8% for idiopathic, 55.9% for post-operative, and only 11% for post-radiation pericardial disease. Cardiac transplantation. One small series has reported outcomes following cardiac transplantation in radiation-associated heart disease, but longer-term survival is reduced relative to cardiac transplantation in the non-radiation cohort, in part due to high risk of recurrent malignancy due to associated immunosuppression. Therefore, transplant candidacy must be carefully decided on an individual basis in recognition of this increased risk of malignancy. Surgical approach to radiation acid heart disease. It should be assumed that there would be radiation injury to the aorta, the ventricles, the pericardium, the lungs, and the chest wall. When, whether the primary indication for surgery is coronary artery disease or valvular heart disease, pre-op evaluation should include echocardiography, coronary angiography, uh, CT angiography or and multi-detector CT and lung function testing. 
when there is concern for constrictive pericarditis versus restrictive cardiomyopathy, CMR and combined left and right heart catheterization with simultaneous pressure measurements should be considered. Many patients with radiation associated heart disease have some degree of restrictive lung disease with decreased lung volumes. Although there are no strict cutoffs, FEV1 of less than 1 liter and diffusion lung capacity less than 40% should raise concerns that post-operative ventilator weaning may be difficult. It's also important to recognize that patients often have undrained pleural effusions that contribute to poor preoperative study metrics, some or all of which may improve with correction of the valve and coronary artery lesions. The combination of very poor pulmonary function numbers and pulmonary fibrosis on MDCT should raise concerns of significant radiation associated lung disease. Therefore, once a decision has been made that the patient is a surgical candidate, MDCT is crucial for surgical planning. Even in primary surgery, radiation induced scarring can result in the innominate vein and other vascular structures being in close sternal proximity, making sternotomy hazardous. A careful three-dimensional MDCT will allow for a full understanding of the aortic, valvular and intravalvular calcium and in particular the location and extent of mitral annular calcification. Severe circumferential mitral annular calcification requires pre-planning for an aggressive resection with anterior annular debridement and reconstruction of the intervalvular fibrosa, the so-called commando operation. The pre-op evaluation should be systematic, planning for cannulation, aortic cross-clamping, and managing valvular calcium and calcification of the cardiac fibrosis skeleton are important. Calcification which appears thin and patchy on MDCT will allow for safe aortic clamping. More dense and circumferential calcification should merit planning for circulatory arrest and replacement of the ascending aorta with all but the most straightforward appearing aortic calcification on CT the surgeon should be comfortable planning to remove or work around all areas of calcification. Therefore, a flexible perfusion and myocardial protection strategy would include routine cannulation of the right axillary artery with the side graft, routine bicable cannulation and routine direct cannulation of the ostium of the coronary sinus for retrograde cardioplegia. This approach allows for flexibility in dealing with unexpected reconstruction problems in what are known to be long multi-component cardiac surgery operations. Post-operative considerations 
As discussed, chronic pleural and pericardial effusions are common with radiation associated heart disease. Although in most cases these are adequately treated with prolonged drainage, true effusions recurring up to a few weeks after cardiac surgery may require long-term soft drainage catheter. Cardiac conduction system disturbances are common, especially with more aggressive reconstruction. Many patients may need more than a few days of temporary pacing after surgery. Placement of permanent LV epicardial pacing leads should be considered. Leadless pacemakers is an option in patients with limited venous access. Management of postoperative diuresis often difficult due to restrictive ventricles. It should be anticipated that the normal course or postoperative diuresis would be prolonged often for weeks. Postoperatively, beta blocker therapy may need to be initiated with caution because radiation associated heart disease patients are often rate dependent for cardiac output because the ventricle is limited by fibrosis and varying stroke volume. Higher pacemaker heart rate should be considered for those patients who are dependent and nodal blocking agents should be limited. Once again, redo surgery in radiation associated heart disease carries a significant elevation in operative risk and morbidity compared with non-radiation associated heart surgery and therefore every attempt should be made to address all issues at the very first operation. Managing patient's expectations is critical as recovery after surgery cannot be expected to confer near normal quality of life in all cases. Percutaneous techniques provide alternative management strategies in radiation-associated heart disease. Transcutaneous valve replacements may be used for initial intervention if surgical access is problematic or if patients are high risk due to significant comorbidities. It's also a useful alternative for patients requiring repeat surgery or with extensive ascending aortic calcification. Application of the technique to mitral valve replacement in radiation associated heart disease remains limited and unvalidated long term. Transcatheter aortic valve replacement or TAVR for aortic stenosis should be performed according to guidelines. The anatomy of radiation acid heart disease including calcification of the ascending aorta, involvement of the coronary ostea, calcification of the aortomitral curtain with extension into the anterior mitral leaflet, a higher prevalence of severe conduction abnormalities and diastolic and systolic dysfunction due to myocardial fibrosis can potentially complicate TAVR owing to the risk of injury to the ascending aorta or cerebral embolization in postulin aorta, coronary obstruction in osteal disease, annulus rupture, pacemaker implantation, and low flow, low gradient physiology. Therefore, careful pre procedural planning is required. In the partner study that is placement of the aortic transcatheter valve 1B trial, 
and continued access registry. 85 of 369 patients, that is 23% were considered inoperable for surgical aortic valve replacement based on technical ineligibility. The most common criteria for surgical inoperability in these patients were porcelain aorta in 42% and previous radiation therapy in 35%. In one study, the outcomes of 98 patients with radiation-associated severe aortic stenosis undergoing tower. Post-procedural permanent pacemaker was required in 15% of the patients and moderate to severe aortic regurgitation was reported in 8% of the patients. At 2.3 years, the annualized mortality was 8% per year and multivariable analysis identified reduced LV stroke volume index as a predictor of increased long-term mortality. This is reported in Circulation 2018, Volume 138, pages 1752 to 4, 1754. The article is titled, Outcomes of Patients with Mediastinal Radiation-Associated Severe Stenosis Undergoing TAVR. Technical considerations of TAVR compared to SAVR, that is surgical aortic valve replacement, trans aortic valve replacement performed via the transfemoral axis has consistently shown to provide superior or even similar outcomes in terms of mortality and stroke, as well as kidney failure, new onset atrial fibrillation, and major bleeding. Therefore, a transfemoral axis should be default access in patients with radiation-associated heart disease in whom tower is being considered. As long as the vascular dimensions and anatomy demonstrate feasibility. However, owing to chest radiation exposure, trans-apical and trans-aortic access requires careful evaluation and other alternative access routes including trans-cable, trans-axillary, Transsubclavian and transcarotid options may be explored. It is recommended that precise delineation of the topographic anatomy of the aortic root by means of MDCT be done in all patients being considered for tower. Extension of calcium into the ascending aorta and the aortomital curtain are associated with increased risk of rupture of the mitral annulus. This risk may be mitigated by avoiding predilatation or consideration of self-expanding or mechanically expanding valves over balloon expandable valves. The use of newer generation transcatheter aortic valves should minimize risk of paravalvular regurgitation. It must be remembered that patients with radiation-associated heart disease have a higher prevalence of AV conduction abnormalities which need to be considered in selection of devices to address the need of permanent pacemaker implantation. In addition, patients with porcelain aorta should undergo careful evaluation of atheromata of the ascending aorta given the, that the latter may be associated with risk of embolization during tower and may call for cerebral embolic protection devices.
follow-up of TAVO patients. After discharge, patients should be followed in clinic as well as by serial transthoracic echocardiographic follow-up at 1 month, 12 months and then annually. Among patients without indication for oral anticoagulation, long-term antiplatelet therapy is recommended. Whether dual antiplatelet therapy is necessary for a variable period of time following TAVR is debatable. In conclusion, management of radiation-assisted heart disease is a challenge due to increased rates of morbidity and mortality. Care in co involves coordinated management by a multidisciplinary team of cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, cardiac imagers. Timing of surgical intervention should be individualized based upon the complexity of radiation-associated disease process, comorbidities, and technical difficulty. Percutaneous options are increasingly available. However, their suitability in radiation-associated heart disease requires further validation. This podcast is derived from an outstanding article by the Jack Scientific Expert Panel led by Dr. Melinda Desai, MD from Cleveland Clinic. The article is titled Prevention, Diagnosis and Management of Radiation-Associated Cardiac Disease. It's published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, August 20, 2019 date, Volume 74, Number 7, pages 905 to 27.